0: This no, is, not uh, like a charm, more like a, I don't know. Uh, they did this experiment where they gave spiders all kinds of drugs and looked at the webs that they spun. Yeah, it was wonderful, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. well, um, this, this is like the spider on LSD web, basically. My handwriting is what, what we're talking about. It was
1: about. the spider on weed, wasn't it, that did a really carefully yeah, it's really crafted cool. web. Yeah, yeah it
0: was fantastic. I think I seem to remember that caffeine was a really bad web. <laughs> bad web, man. So... Now, shall I introduce this by saying, Okay, so what the way this works is Matt just gives me movies. Movies I've often never heard of. Let's admit it, mostly never heard of. Yeah. Now, this in some ways was the weirdest of the films. And, you know, we, we've had uh, one-eyed hookers uh, <laughs> on a revenge spree in strange Swedish movies with avant-garde uh, musette concrete soundtracks. But this was way weirder because, simply because... It came from you. So what it is is a mainstream Hollywood melodrama.
1: Yes. I think from nineteen forty-four. Uh, late forties? The, I think it, no. I think it's early fifties. Ah oh, well, let's. I, you let's, know, I wish I had the date.
0: Let's okay. look it up. I'm going to look it up right now because I think it's still. I think it's still wartime when they made it. This is my
1: guess. Ah. So you. I thought I wrote down the year. I'm quite annoyed with myself. The tu- nineteen
0: forty-four film.
1: Nineteen forty-four. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I yeah. messed that one up. Ginger
0: Rogers, Joseph Cotton, and Shirley Temple, 44. Yeah.
1: Well, it was an
0: easy... That was an a, a, an easy win for me because it, it was pretty clearly made still during wartime and it was almost like a propaganda... Not a propaganda picture, but, you know, feel-good-for-the-troops oh, kind oh, of absolutely, picture. absolutely, yeah. Now, okay, the first thing I want to know is why... For, I can see the appeal of this movie to some people yeah. and to myself you of all people why would you like this movie hmm. and the reason i'm asking that is because it's you know there's no beheadings in it there's no zombies there's no strange avant-garde uh weirdness
1: it's 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 just it's a pretty bread and butter movie so tell me film is huge you know we've got over a hundred years of film and a lot of people say I don't like westerns, I don't like romantic films. I don't like science fiction, yeah. I don't like horror. I don't like generalisations. You could watch 50 horror films and they'd all be awful. Yeah. But you, the 51st could be the best one you'd seen. Right. And I find that if you shut yourself off to other genres, you don't enjoy film anywhere near as much as you could because every now and then you'll hit one that you never knew existed and you'll think, my God, that's, that's just a really well-made film. It's really nice. Now, with this one, the main draw for me was Joseph Cotton. Um, he's very good it. He's one of my favourite actors. Ah, um, I okay. think I've probably watched everything he's done. Oh, okay. This begins to make sense yeah. then. I'm also a real sucker for romance films. That I never would have guessed. Seriously.
0: Well, there's Do, not I, that many s- good se-
1: romance films. Well,
0: it's, it, it, I would never have thought of you as somebody who would accept a sentimental
1: movie. No, if it's done right, you can. I mean, look, we're just The Swimmer is... Probably one of the most sentimental films you could uh, th- see. We th- just th- mentioned this that. is
0: not mawkishly sentimental, but it is. No. I always had you characterise it as very cynical
1: indeed. I've also got a thing about films set at Christmas. This begins to make sense. And this is obviously set one week over Christmas, yeah. two weeks over Christmas. And the other thing it's got going for it is that I like films about outsiders who are let into families okay
0: now like can we stop right there because the first thing i was going to say is the thing that struck me as being unusual about this movie especially as a mainstream hollywood movie is it's about two outsiders because it's set in this idealized middle class white picket fence environment in this nice middle class household but the two characters are outsiders who come there yeah uh, and so I thought that was very interesting. So you've touched upon... So you're that you were saying you you like movies about outsiders generally.
1: The other thing with this film, um, which I'm sure we'll pick up on as we get through this, yeah. but in the current Me Too situation, it couldn't be more relevant. And I'm surprised it hasn't been brought up more. In well, the, I can't
0: see where you're going yeah. with this. Maybe because
1: I'm just really thick. Now, obviously this means chucking in a massive spoiler. Yeah, but, but, but check it in. Ginger Rogers' character... Has been basically talked into by her boss of coming up to his oh, flat. This under is full what she, yeah.
0: Oh, I see what you're getting at. Yes. In
1: trying to defend herself from a rape, she ends up killing that's him right. by accident. That's right. And she does time for it. I know. I mean, everyone accepts this. It's like, yeah, that's fine. That, she she that, did a bad thing. No, she didn't. <laughs> I <guy> deserved it. <laughs> and you'd be hard pushed to argue that it was an accident. I,
0: I was sitting there thinking, um, <laughs> She's serving like eight years in jail or whatever it is for not the crime of not being raped.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's extraordinary. It's a real I know.
0: sign of the times. That uh, that's, so that's what you meant by the Me Too. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes. So we'll get... Yes. Uh, but let's about, get back to the beginning. No, of so the, the movie... Be- we know almost instantly, I knew almost instantly, I think anybody would, that um, Ginger Rogers has just got out of prison. And we know this because the movie begins at a kiosk where they're selling... Um, uh, snacks and magazines and she's asking to buy her favourite chewing gum or her favourite chocolate almond bar and they don't have any of these things because it's wartime and rationing and all this the fact that she doesn't know that to me could only have one implication Uh, well, since it's not a science fiction movie and she's not from outer space I thought she could only have been away in prison so I immediately had her pegged as having just got out of the slammer this is a very well-crafted Hollywood i've I've described it as a a beautifully engineered confection we don't usually think of confections as being engineered but that sort of captures it because it's precision manufactured but it's also got a kind of fluffy meringue quality to it so it's it's a well-engineered confection
1: both of their backstories are covered by almost four lines of dialogue at that kiosk here's a hand of hers i think they both have two lines each and it tells you all you need to know about their characters very quickly
0: well that's what, what i was getting at is the economy and precision of the screenwriting but Yes, her backstory. But all I remember of Joseph Cotton is he's buying a magazine, which rather clunkily turns out to have an article that's pertinent to his 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 uh,
1: <coughs> plight. He basically just chooses a random magazine. He's not he he's not really with it, and then walks off with a totally different one anyway. He takes no. To-
0: he he forgets his magazine. He pays yeah. and he it. So I see what you're saying is it sets up the fact that he's not all there. Yeah. But oh, that's interesting.
1: I thought I felt he was just abstracted, but you're right. It does. And we can automatically assume why, because he's wearing army uniform and he's old enough to have come back from fighting rather than on his way to fighting. So there can only be one good you're reason why he's in the station. Way yeah. ahead
0: of me. I was still congratulating myself on having, having worked out <laughs> that Ginger Rogers must be an ex-con. Now, I didn't really get his behaviour, but it's rather hammered home because this kiosk is in a station. They both get on a train. They end up sitting next to each other on the train and he's looking through his magazine and it's got this big article in it in these days you got big picture magazines photo magazines like life magazine was a classic example i think this one's called something like live <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> a knockoff of life and what he's suffering from is what in the first world war was called shell shock and then they called abreaction in this movie it's called psychiatric something and it's what we would now call post traumatic stress disorder and rather um, i thought rather clunkily he's reading an article about it in the magazine so to cut a not too long story, even shorter, they start talking and he discovers she's going to this small town in California. I think it's in California, um, maybe just outside California. Yeah, yeah it's on its way. To the ultimate destination of the train's L.A., but they'd stop before that. She gets off at this town and he, and he says, oh, I'm getting off there,
1: too, to visit my sister. But basically, he's just stalking her. Absolutely. <laughs> but prior to this, you've got a really fun sequence on the train. Uh, you've got the other troops on the train who are all having a laugh, they're all sort of getting on with each other, and they go off to buy them coffees. It's a, it's a nice, homely little environment. They both seem to be enjoying the company, but wish it wasn't there. I kind of like that You know, they'd be a lot happier if those two weren't there, but by the same token, having those two there, given the time that they've both been having, one out of prison, one out of hospital, yeah, it's nice to have the company and the cheeriness around them.
0: Oh, it's, uh, it's interesting because uh, the stuff that you're liking is very mainstream Hollywood sort of kind of uh,
1: fake cheerfulness. So uh, it's, I say, Yeah, well, obviously in terms of the way it's performed in the film, right? yes, but it's more them that I'm concerned. It's not so much there that the song and dance going on around them, it's more that... that you're quite if, deeply invested in these characters, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think there's, nice. there's nothing I wrong, think wrong with really that. are really good people. Don't give me that look. There's nothing wrong
0: with that, but I just find it interesting that, that, that you buy into it. Because it, I always imagined you as the sort of cynical person who would absolutely not buy into a Hollywood melodrama. So that's fascinating.
1: I don't think you can watch films if you think about them that way. You've got to have an emotional connection with films. And if you have an emotional connection with characters, that makes well, all the more different.
0: Well, like clearly you admire Joseph Cotton, and if you thought Ginger Rogers was crap, you would never have engaged with yeah.
1: her. I think Ginger Rogers is brilliant in it. And it's astonishing that this is one of her last films. It, it's quite a good cast.
0: Um, I want to get to Shirley Temple in a minute. But anyway, so... <laughs> They, there's this train trip and it's a crowded train because it's wartime uh, and all the rest of it and she gets off in this small town. He gets off too and checks in at the YMCA uh, because he's going to stalk her. Of course, they would never have <laughs> talked about that this time and I'm being a bit cruel. Uh, so he, he doesn't have a sister in the town but he rings her up. He's got her phone number, smart guy. And he... And, Basically, they're both on furlough. Yeah. She's on furlough from prison, which I didn't know that they did. So that was quite yeah. interesting. And they talk about that, that not all prisons do that in all states. But for good behaviour, they've let her out for like eight days or ten days at Christmas.
1: They've just got to pray that no one tries to rape her and gets killed in the process, because that's essentially what seems to be the danger with her. Is that <laughs> Yeah,
0: they'd really get it in the neck if she went out and killed another rapist. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and he's been let out of prison on more or less, not sorry, let out of hospital psychiatric military hospital presumably uh, on much the same basis just to see if he can get get around in the world and he's supposed to check back in at the hospital at the end at the end, well in eight days whatever it is yeah. so he's got off the train she's got off the train uh, he's got off the train under false pretenses she's gone to stay with her aunt and uncle uh, and he phones her up and he says oh my sister had gone away on business or something. And can I see you? And they invite him over for a family meal. Yes. Well, I suspect this is one of the things that you liked, is the whole sort of family get-togetherness of this.
1: Yeah, I. there's a lot of films where you get the outsider, and it's also worth bearing in mind he's an orphan, he has no family anyway. That's, yeah, that's right, um, that's interesting. He, and I think he has a line in there somewhere, he says, we never had a Christmas. So this is also his first Christmas, and as part of this film, he also gets his first mm. ever Christmas present as an adult. Um, which is very sweetly done it's not what the audience
0: is thinking he doesn't bang ginger rogers <laughs> sorry Whoa. it's not the christmas yeah.
1: present that you think I reckon he might have been able to <laughs>
0: oh, we'll have to discuss when that could have happened in the course of the movie so and he very quickly admits. i think it's even before dinner he admits to ginger rogers that the sister was a lie yes which is great because at dinner very early on in the meal he's about to to, a, to confess everything, and she stop. She she overrides him, and she covers his back. She covers it. Yeah, him. she she
1: sides with the lie.
0: Yeah, which is is nice. So we got the setup, and then it basically it's sort of a, a romance between the two of the budding romance between the two of them.
1: Yeah, it it's not even painted as a romance earlier on. They're just it's they're both the only friend they have. You know, she's well, well he's she's obviously got interested Temple. in her... Who's her niece, presumably. Well,
0: th- OK, so we have to talk about Shirley Temple now. Yes. This, one of the fascinating things about this movie is Shirley Temple had only ever been known to me. People who've heard of Shirley Temple we all have the same image of this...
1: Little girl with a lollipop. Precocious yeah. child
0: <laughs> actor. execrable, hideous little Moppet. Yeah. Now, in this, she's a teenager and she's a good actress
1: and again i think it's her last film
0: oh my god yeah
1: but and she retired after this film
0: <laughs> she's a lot of fun in this because she's this kind of perky teenager and she has some great lines which i'm just i want to get this accurately so, <laughs> uh she identifies the metal strip the the, the colored ribbon that that uh, joseph cotton's wearing which has all his campaigns on it and she knows what it all means and she says, A girl gets to know medals like she does boogie woogie. <laughs> so she's like this, she's this young hep
1: cat. She has, uh, there's another line of hers actually. She delivers them so well. I think I probably Is wrote it about it down. The,
0: the morale builder? Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is it? this not... neckline is a morale builder. She, she's great because she's this kind of sexy, perky little um, teenage girl. And she's, uh, it's all totally above board because it's 1944. So she's dating all these
1: young soldiers. And she's, Well she's not dating them, she's writing to them. So she's sending them photos and letters yeah. and that's basically that's her morale builder. Is, yeah,
0: and she she is dating one uh, yeah. in the course of the movie for the big New Year's is it New Year's Eve dance? Yeah. But anyway, they're in the, the where this line arose is that they're the women folk, which is Ginger Rogers, Shirley Temple, who's her cousin, and Ch- and Ginger Rogers' aunt, yes Shirley Temple's mother, are all shop dress shopping in this dress shop. And Shirley Temple has this dress with what was presumed to be a, judged to be a plunging neckline. Yes. And it, it's not that plunging. but a, And she has this hilarious line it's it's a morale builder. To your information, line. mother,
1: this neckline is a morale It's builder. a fantastic <laughs> line.
0: And it just really sets her up. And you were talking about her, Shirley Temple, who's one of the best characters in this movie. Yeah. She's writing these sort of pen pal letters to all these troops, presumably overseas or whatever. And she's got this list of their names with a description beside them <laughs> yes. of what they are. Like one of them's Junior Wolf, one's like Boring Old Fig or something. It's fabulous.
1: Uh, did you have to pause it on that? Because I, I seem to recall I went back to read all of them. I, I I'd only just realised what I was reading at I, that point. <laughs> I did, I
0: did, I did. I first thought that was one of the, 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 the fun, most fun things in it. So she's, uh, yeah, she's terrific. And all, there's also this little trajectory where when the jailbird ginger rogers arrives shirley temple's got like a separate towel and separate soap yeah. for her and divided the cupboard up into
1: his hers well, and hers what we haven't really covered is the fact that um neither of them knows what's wrong with the other and what's wrong with um, when you say neither, Gin-
0: you mean joseph cotton and, and Ginger
1: rogers. rogers right and the family haven't told shirley temple what Ginger Rogers was in prison for. She oh, knows I didn't she's know been that. I, did, yeah. I didn't register that. Did no, you? no. There was that really good scene where she t- tells her in oh, flashback that, what had happened. Oh, is that when she's first exposed? And that's exposed when she goes it. around I've, and takes down those labels and about realizes that. that you know she did nothing.
0: Ginger Rogers has quite a good line. She says, well I've got isn't catching or isn't yeah. infectious, something like that." I should back up a bit and say, um, this movie was based on a radio play, yes. and uh, which
1: also starred Joseph Cotton. Oh, I didn't know I that. I think it was a Mercury Group one.
0: Oh, that would make absolute sense yeah. because he was uh, the Mercury Theatre was Orson Welles' yeah. radio theater, uh, theater of the air, and, um, he and Cotton Joseph Cotton were
1: like, was you know, talking. They, they, they had peas and carrots. They went together.
0: Yeah, but uh, and Joseph Cotton was the main male actor, except for Orson Welles, in, in a strong team. Uh, so yeah, we should really look up the names of the, the guys who wrote it, which I can do in a minute. But anyway, so it was a radio play, and then it was rewritten for the screen by somebody else. But it was produced by Dore Shari. Uh, that may not be how you pronounce his name, but he was a famous Hollywood producer. I think often of um, pictures about issues, you know. And it was directed by uh, William Dieterle, who's a very famous Hollywood mainstream director who did loads of stuff. So anyway, so it's this very mainstream Hollywood movie. It's, it's a short movie. It's quite low budget. And it's about these... I love the fact you said outsiders because that's absolutely what it's about and that's what makes it very unusual. You've got these two rootless outsiders who come together in the perfect all-American middle-class family, Norman Rockwell Christmas environment, but they, they aren't of that environment. They're just temporarily roosting there.
1: To give you an idea of why I like this setup, um, one of the first films I really loved was Edward Scissorhands. Which is essentially the same thing. In that this guy has been invited into the family at Christmas time. He's an orphan now. Um, the family just welcome him in, and it doesn't matter what he does, they're still so nice to him all the time.
0: And we see, this all begins. I finally, I begin to see why you might like this movie. Because I was just, I thought this is a pretty. This is a very well crafted, very mainstream Hollywood
1: melodrama. I'm quite. In, okay. You say mainstream, but in terms of it being a propaganda film during the war, it doesn't paint a very good picture of the war. No, because uh, Joseph Cotton's definitely damaged goods, and he has fantastic lines about how soldiers see wars. What I liked about this is that there's sort of a subtle implication that he's quite a hero,
0: but we never go into that. What you
1: do here, doesn't is- either. He he deals with. Uh, I'm. I actually there is a line. There is a line that he says, which is. You know I can't read my writing while you're doing that let,
0: while you're having a quick look let me just t- tell you the bit that impressed me about that is he's got these metal ribbons uh, which are decoded by Shirley Temple for instance and he's been wounded and he's seen action in all these theatres and the other people discuss them but he never divulges anything and there's a great scene when um, for the big New Year's Eve party uh when uh Shirley Temple goes out with her date who's a young lieutenant he might be the young junior wolf for all I know yeah and Joseph Cotton's merely a sergeant but the young lieutenant who hasn't seen action says I should be saluting you and yes. he actually calls him sir at one point
1: well also I mean Cotton's twice his age in theory I mean it's kind of hard to tell uh, because Joseph Cotton's always I, the so I age,
0: suppose but. you could say what he was saying sir from a yeah. point of view of him being an older man but i really felt that he was addressing him almost like a uh, su- military superior which i thought was a really effective uh, and understated way of getting the point across that joseph cotton had seen a lot of hardship and, and was an experienced soldier and this guy other guy was just a kid and he was acknowledging it which i really liked
1: there's another possibility as well is that he could have been downgraded so oh, I love that injury, possibility. Um, it's possible that he was a much higher rank before he was. But that Ill.
0: that would suggest that he actually did something wrong too. Which there's a whole. Well, backstory just having for him. a
1: breakdown would have been enough to get you downgraded. That's true. Um, I know from the Milligan books that when he had his nervous breakdown, he was downgraded oh, to well, bombardier that's... again from lieutenant bombardier. So,
0: well, if we can just briefly uh, interrupt with a bit of military history there, I read a fantastic book called Bomber Command uh, by Max Hastings, and also in conjunction with a novel by Dayton called Bomber. And it was about the, when I say hellish, I literally mean hellish, the, the terrifying experiences of the British uh, Air Force guys who flew the bombing raids over Germany, which was just nightmare. And your chances of getting killed were incredible. <laughs> like, like oh, absolutely, really, yeah. Really high. And if anybody showed any signs of being affected by this at all, they were, they were literally... Um, marked down as lacking moral fiber. That was the term that was <laughs> yes. used. They were lacking moral fiber. If they showed any signs of humanity, like any cracks in the facade from being put through this ordeal, and the people who were marking them down as having lacking moral fiber would, couldn't have survived in those cockpits for 10 minutes. So uh, that's what we're talking about here, isn't it? The, the sort of pressure cooker of combat and how people, uh, uh, people who, who had no idea what they were talking about would downgrade people, downgrade uh, soldiers and, and servicemen for go, if they if they showed any so, so, um, mental instability as a result of this.
1: I think Roald Dahl covers it as well in Going Solo.
0: Because everybody back. cracks up. It's yeah. not as though it's an unusual thing. Everybody un, under those circumstances. So I love that idea that he might have been a higher rank and got busted down the ranks that's, for that's, lacking moral fibre. That's basically. my feeling
1: on that one, because it adds to the shame that he seems to be carrying. He does um, seem
0: to be carrying shame, yeah.
1: Um, that, unfortunately, because of the time, that could just be down to a nervous breakdown, but I think also being downgraded would be... it would affect you. So the, I've got a feeling that's probably what's implied there.
0: There's a couple... Uh, the subtlety of the film is what I, I like, one of the things I like. There's a little subtle moment where Joseph Carton... The setup is that very early on, Ginger Rogers knows that Joseph Carton uh, was lying... Uh, and that he had something to hide, and I yeah. think he he reveals to her that he's had a hard time in combat quite early
1: on. <clears throat> they go to see that war film. Um, Great date movie. For I, him. Well, this is the thing: is I love that we are let into their foot in mouth moments. He has a line as well where he says to her, "Oh, I did nothing bad. It's not like I've been in prison or anything." Yeah, and it's kind of thrown away. But her face on that, I, I think she holds it well. <laughs> that what I was getting
0: at is that his. Um, Secret is revealed sooner than hers. But in that sequence you just described, where they they go out into the countryside to sort of enjoy nature together and they have that conversation you just cited. Uh, But there's a point where they're right beside the state line and he's about to step over and she, she calls him back and goes the other way because presumably. That would be a federal felony if she yeah. crossed the state line.
1: <laughs> even though there's no witnesses around, exactly. she's not taking any chances. Which yeah. so is
0: illustrative of her character, and it's a subtle little clue about the situation she's in, which I thought was nice.
1: That conversation when they come out of the cinema was the one I was trying to find, and it's when she asks him about what it's like in the war. Is that really what it's like? And he said, well, I suppose it's for them it's what it's like. He said, but... His exact words were, um, "To a guy that's in the middle of it, the wall's about ten feet wide." That's
0: very interesting. I thought that was very cool. I
1: yeah. like that, dog and that yeah. again comes up later on when he's asked by a senator at a dance um, for his opinion. That's of an the extraordinary war. situation, and he yeah. handles it really well. It's, and this is again when you see that he's finally getting his grip back because there's a bit of fight there. Finally, he's
0: well. You handle it really well or really badly, because the senator's expecting him to weigh in with a bun. Well, with an opinion. And he just refuses to be drawn, yeah. doesn't
1: he? He's not into the politics. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very interesting scene. And, and it goes in a very unexpected direction. Which is why I think it's it's not a propaganda film. Or if it is, it's it's not the propaganda that they were expecting. No, but it's definitely
0: <laughs> a wartime movie about wartime situation. But getting back to that conversation that they come out of the cinema, he says it's only 10 feet wide. He, what he's saying is the treatment of the war in the movie sort of shows masses of troops. It's like an overview. Yeah of the situation and he makes the incredibly pertinent point that when you're in combat it's <laughs> just yeah. what's immediately. All those people eyes.
1: aren't important. It's you. <laughs> what's just, immediately around yeah, you? Yeah,
0: around the, your phone. And so or? when
1: they're storming beaches, you know, in the film, they'll always show it as a wide shot. Yeah. And weirdly, it's not until much later in the film that it's not, probably not until something like Saving Private Run or Thin Red Line or something where you've actually got one soldier's, subjective experience yeah, of combat, just one person's experience rather than the broad experience.
0: Well, let's not go too far into that. But I just watched <laughs> Platoon, Oliver Stone's Platoon, which I think is one of. the probably the greatest combat film ever made because it really gives you the feeling that you are in combat because it was made by somebody who was. Yeah. Who's also a great filmmaker.
1: But let's move on from that. Yes. Um So uh, we've covered Shirley Temple, which is really important. There's another good... You were talking about when they went out to buy the dresses. Yeah. There's a nice uh, comic sequence in that, which I really Where like. Where they keep reducing the price yeah. of the dress. <laughs> it's great. Well, so it's essentially, just, yeah. Ginger Rogers is... Um, joining them on the shopping trip, not intending to buy a dress. that They're there to buy a dress for Shirley Temple. She picks out a very nice dress, and then the aunt says to Ginger Rogers, well, you should buy that dress, the one she's looking at. Yeah, because um, Ginger Rogers has in love with this dress. And she says, well, you know, me and your uncle have decided that we would like to treat you. So when Ginger Rogers goes into the change room to take the dress off, um, she says to the woman in the change room, she said, how much is it? And she says, it's $69. She goes, well, can you do me a favour? When we go outside, can you tell her it's $39? Yeah. And then carries on getting changed. Meanwhile, Ginger
0: Rogers pays the difference at that yes. point. Yes.
1: Yeah. And then the dresser goes out, and the aunt says, "Look, can you do me a favor?" Because yeah, she doesn't want to hurt Ginger Rogers' pride. She says, <laughs> "Can you?" When you, when she comes out, and you say this is nineteen yeah. dollars, <laughs> gives her another twenty. And then obviously, when she comes out, she said that's nineteen dollars. Everyone knows what's happened. I like that. I I yeah. think they did a really nice job. Well, it.
0: this screenplay has a lot of interesting subtleties in it. I mean, it's all very meat and potatoes, very bread and butter, very mainstream, very. Oh, dynamic. absolutely. Yeah. But but really perfectly well done. Really, as I say, well-engineered. Uh, the father and the mother are pretty good. The father's kind of fun. I, I wanted to look up the father to see if he'd been in an, uh, another movie because I thought his face was familiar. So oh, I imagine, he had, yeah. Check, check. Oh, well, he's obviously been in a load of movies, but I was wondering if it was in one of my other favourite Christmas films, which is called um, Susan Slept Here. And I wondered if he, he cropped up in that. So i have to check that out. But so... The trajectory of the movie is that this furlough is going to to have to end. Yes. And Ginger Rogers is going to have to go back to prison. Oh, but before that, let's talk about the the terrible crime she committed to get her into prison in the first place. Absolutely. Which we've touched upon already. So that, you're reminding me that that situation was revealed in the bit where uh, Shirley Temple, she's kind of humanized to Shirley Temple. Shirley Temple was at this... You know separate towels separate soap you know th- i've got a jailbird in my house and ginger rogers sort of tells her what happened and what happened is ginger rogers boss invites her up to a party at his and his apartment his penthouse apartment uh and she gets all dressed up it's quite heartbreaking she gets all dressed up and she gets a, a white orchid which is going to be symbolic later on uh and she pins her white orchid on she goes up to the apartment turns out it's a setup there's nobody else there there is no party and she says very correctly, that's the point where she should have turned around and left. Yeah. But she didn't. And he, he sort of jumps on her and, and tries to rape her. And she fights him off and he falls out an open... I'm laughing here. you. <laughs> she falls out an open window to his death.
1: Yeah. And, it is actually quite a comic moment because for some reason she kicks him twice and he falls back twice and then the third time he just goes straight out the window yeah it is actually quite funny when it happens but it's not a funny situation
0: it's not meant to be funny no. um and then she's convicted of manslaughter and sent to prison i think for eight years something yes. like that. yeah of which she served three
1: uh four four my god and she comes yeah. out for five so she's got one more year to do
0: oh so for good behavior she's only got one year left i didn't yeah. register that well that's good i mean she's still another year she shouldn't have gone to prison at all but at least it wasn't the full eight years so there's this extraordinary thing that uh, you know not being raped your punishment is (laughs) yeah prison yeah exactly for many years so uh that's revealed to the audience but not to joseph cotton and what happens is he's got to go back from his furlough and he's he's uh, were they going to get the train together was that the deal well, she um, didn't want to get the train yeah, together because no. he would find out that she's lied to him, said that she's a dress saleswoman, travelling saleswoman.
1: They're both of the opinion that if the other knows what the other is, what their situation is, that they won't be interested anymore. That seems to be the idea. Yeah, the... But hasn't Joseph Cotton pretty much revealed what... Not really. Um, not the extent of his condition because he keeps running away from her. They do that thing oh, where yeah. they throw the stone at the lamp yeah, and he legs it. And... So there's
0: three things I should have mentioned before we get to the end of the film. One is there's this... I won't say it's quite a running gag because it's not a gag but they set up this thing where he's trying to throw a stone and hit a lamppost and he misses yeah. and the point is that he 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 used to be an athlete and very good at these he says my timing's off which is a bit odd because it's more like his accuracy is off but you know what he means when he says that yeah. and then I think there's a the the next time he just doesn't throw the stone like he, okay. he he bottles out so that's one interesting thing another interesting thing is he has this huge freakout when he's alone in the YMCA room and this is the it's like it's just him and I think there's a voiceover and he's sweating and he's like he's having this big PTSD moment. And this is the kind of thing that in Hollywood movies can be so hilariously overdone. It's the sort of thing that they send up in the naked gun or airplane. But this one's quite well done. Yes. I thought it was quite effective.
1: I think that's mainly because it's cotton and yeah. he's performing to himself because it's his voiceover and yeah. it also If memory serves, it's a single take, I think for the most part, and then the overlays uh, of the other action are over the top. But I seem to recall, I I actually went through it to check and see if I'm pretty sure it's a single take and everything that's overlaid isn't.
0: The reason it's working, I think you're saying, uh, and I certainly would say is because he's a really good actor and he's an understated actor. So a lot of it's internalised.
1: And it helps that we've got a lot invested in him by that stage, the character yeah if they'd have done that sequence in the first time. when he film, first arrived yeah, in the room, yeah, that's a good point. yeah, um, it's later on. And the fact that he keeps it, uh, all of those moments seem to be in front of Abraham Lincoln, which seems to bother him. <laughs>
0: there is a portrait in his <laughs> cheap, shitty YMCA room that uh, of Abraham Lincoln, yeah, right? just so that the listeners know what we're talking about.
1: And I, it's just a question, that's the face he keeps seeing that's watching him all the time. I was thinking of the
0: YMCA, the big um, New Year's dance is at the YMCA and you have this establishing shot of the YMCA at night. And there's this voiceover just dropped in of this girl saying, oh, Johnny, uh, I'm not sure I should go into the YMCA. Is it just for men or something like that? And he says, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I just thought it was really weird, but funny.
1: Yes. <laughs> it's a really bizarre party. Because there's a guy on um, high bars, isn't there? Doing yeah. gymnastics. There's the a bar.
0: lone sailor <laughs> doing stuff on a, on a you know a, ac- those acrobatic bars that you have.
1: At, have you know. already had that party? And um, I woke up early the day I died. We've, we've basically got a theme developing here of it's, bizarre party. Yeah,
0: it was, it was very weird. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to touch upon is the dog attack, which yeah. I just didn't see coming.
1: It's a nice bit of action in an otherwise gentle film.
0: I think that they need felt they needed something. So what happens is. Um, ginger and uh joseph are walking home i think after the new year's party and there's this dog uh, chained up in a yard and they for some reason they stop and they look at the dog and he says something like which is really hubristic i seem to recall like oh that dog looks really unfriendly but i bet you know if we got to know him he'd really like us and the <laughs> dog's like the dog just wants to rip his throat out basically And the dog manages to rip its uh, chain loose and comes after him and there's a Quite an effective sequence where he's wrestling with the dog, which yeah. doesn't look too fake at all.
1: No, it's not. And I, yeah, he's clearly got a training sleeve on, so he's, yeah, the dog will bite onto that, but it, it works. Yeah. It's why he's got an overcoat on. Oh,
0: well, that's a good point. Well, it's well, also the middle of winter
1: in wherever it is. Yeah, the weather's patchy because they keep going on about how it's a lovely, balmy, warm night. And but they, they say that, that you don't get winter in this state. That's, yeah, that, that's and yet yeah, they're, they're still wrapped up nice and warm, and sometimes yeah, it's cold sometimes Just because the a dog and, attacks them. Yeah basically yeah that's always helpful
0: so that's sort of that's sort of an interesting thing I forget is it the dog attack that triggers his PTSD yeah
1: he um, because the whole point is is that if he gets too worked up and if he gets too panicked that's why he's out to relax that's why he's on leave is that if he relaxes he'll be fine so Mm -hmm. yeah it does trigger him and he gets home in a bit of a state
0: so the the ending is that uh, that they're not going to go back on the same train because she figures that it is too likely to give away that she's going back to prison so she says she'll get a later train and he comes around to say goodbye to her at that family home and Shirley temple who did doesn't know that that the ginger is still running a cover story said let's slip about her being a jailbird yeah and cotton sort of has to take this in suddenly and he's very quiet on the drive to the station she's gone to the station to see him off and he's very quiet and uh, he gets on the train he's very quiet and She's, uh, What's also by. quite
1: telling about this is that he, even by the end of the film, still doesn't know why she's in prison. It's never explained to him.
0: Oh, and he's willing to forgive her. Yeah, we'll get, we'll, he doesn't we'll, care. We'll, yeah, she could be mass murderer, what the hell. Well, she's a murderer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be doubting... We do don't know about it, one. <laughs> one of those rapist murderers. Um, murderers of rapists, I mean. Yeah, so... Uh, She goes home thinking, "Well, well, he was a bit offish. And then Shirley Temple confesses that she inadvertently gave away the secret. Now, at this point, this is where it's a perfect piece of Hollywood screenwriting because there's a bit in one of William Goldman's books about writing for the screen where he talks about the ending of North by Northwest, which is a Hitchcock movie written by Ernest Lehman. And he says, you have to wrap up the movie. And they do it in about... Fifteen seconds, and the, the the wrap up is just that um, Carrie Grant and uh, is it even Marie Saint anyway? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the the male and female lead they've just triumphed over the bad guys. You see them in a, a sleeping carriage on a train together. There's some implication they just got married, and that's
1: you know it's wrapped up incredibly quickly into the tunnel. Don't forget that. Oh, very Hitchcock.
0: Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> Piece of Freudian uh, yeah symbology, so. In the same way, this is wrapped up beautifully because Ginger Rogers is very despondent because she knows that Joseph Cotton knows about her and he's gone away on the train knowing that she's a jailbird and she didn't have a chance to explain to him herself and she's very unhappy and she'll never see him again. And so she catches the train, she's heading back to the prison and there's this very, it's at night and there's this pool of lamplight as she's walking into the prison entrance and what happens is Joseph Cotton is waiting for her in the shadows and they get together and they basically have a smooch and you think okay well that's nice but somehow it just wouldn't be enough it just it somehow it's not quite satisfying enough i mean it's great that he's there yeah. it's saved acres of narrative the fact that he just turns up and that they have this sort of reconciliation but what they then do is they turn and they both throw pebbles at this lamppost and they both hit it and somehow that makes it a perfect ending
1: it is a perfect ending but there's also a moment of mild concern there that if she breaks the lamppost she'll she's get in, another... for, in for another year <laughs> she'll, have, she'll have to finish off the full eight years <laughs> yeah yeah she, she loses her
0: parole but i just thought i thought that's a perfect little trick and i, I almost wondered if the screenwriter had they reached the end of the movie they thought this isn't quite enough and the, they then went back and planted the pebble throwing thing i'm not saying they did no. but i could just see that that might have been the case so it's this perfect little melodrama set it, christmas black and white very good cast in terms of Ginger Rogers, Joseph Cotton, and Shirley Temple, who's the sleeper in this for me. Like yeah. she's the unexpected treat, uh, as I say.
1: I think it's a shame she
0: left acting.
1: I oh. I think her best years were ahead of her. Right?
0: Yeah, because she would abandoned that sort of silly childish thing, and she was doing great as that sort of t- t- potential teen
1: hellion. She went into, I believe, politics. politics, politics. I was going to say, yeah. I remember Betty Davis commenting on that, saying, "You yeah, know, this, it's it's nuts," she said. This industry takes. Good actors and just lets them go because, well, in her case, she was too old. Yeah, the moment well, no, she hit 20. She,
0: yeah, but she was just, she, she had a whole other acting career opening up for her. Yeah. So, and it's, like I say, it's precision-built piece of a Hollywood screen uh, writing and uh, beautifully made. I'm not saying it's a great movie, but it does what it sets out to do with exemplary concision. And I was amazed that it was the kind of movie that you'd like. So it was a real strange one. You might to, have more surprises in store. Yeah, one to put on your Christmas list, I'd say. Uh, we should watch Where do we more... go from here? Well, no, I, I, what, <laughs> I, what, I, what it did remind me of is how much I love, not just black and white, but that old Hollywood ratio where the, the image is square.
1: A 4-3, yeah. Yeah, four I think
0: it looks great. I mean, it's completely different. You can't show anybody lying down. <laughs> but it's, it was very refreshing compared to the horizontal image we've become... Used to, I would quite like to. Let, well, let's watch some more of those
1: in the course of these podcasts. I've got a couple in mind. Yeah, yeah. Expect a lot of Peter Laurie. oh Okay. <laughs> um, what are we doing next? It's it's gonna
0: man with two faces. No, it's not. Man who haunted himself. That's one. It's the same. In my mind, it's the same. There is no movie Man with Two Faces. There? Yeah. What is that? I think
1: so. <laughs>
0: This has been a podcast by Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. And very importantly, big shout out to Joe Kramer who did the fantastic theme music which you heard at the beginning.